0: Hello and welcome. I'm Jill Martin, the host of the Morning Bell podcast. On today's episode, we're joined by returning guest Andrew MacDonald. Andrew is a Melbourne writer and author of books for young readers. In 2009, he published his first middle grade novel, The Greatest Blogger in the World, and Son of Death is his second novel, a black comedy about grim raping, family responsibility, and rock and roll. He's a regular presenter on the school circuit and has appeared at various writers' festivals. In 2011, he was a co-judge of the Young Adult category of the Victorian Premier's Literary Award. On this episode, we chat about Giant Blind Penguins, Andrew's recent writer's retreat in Adelaide, and in the media section, we talk about the Americans, the 1997 The Man in the Iron Mask, and for the topic, we chat about first drafting and the pitfalls and pinnacles of the process and our personal experiences with it. As always, you can chat with me on my email, mailbox at thepanofjol.com. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy listening. Hello and welcome to the Morning Bell Podcast. Today we are live at the Brunswick Street bookstore, and I'm joined by my co-host, Luke Manley.
1: That's me again.
0: That's you again. How are you? I'm alive. You are alive I am exhausted But I'm alive Okay there you go Why are you always exhausted Luke You have to come to the podcast I am energetically exhausted
1: There we go It's a contradiction Yes it is <laughs> mm-hmm. So how's your week been Luke My week uh, Well I finished all those books That I said I was reading And now I've started on Lovecraft Which you did ask for <laughs> some yes. Feedback on Uh huh um, I've gone back to Andre Sapkowski's books mm-hmm. I've I sort of struggled a bit further through Bernard Cornwall's uh, Winter King. Didn't get that far. Probably go back to it again eventually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so so I, lots of reading, not as much writing. As how is that batty
0: reading. old codger Lovecraft? What do you think
1: about his He's work? hilarious. He is. <laughs> He's hilarious, and I can't take him very seriously mm-hmm. in most of his writing. Some of it's very good, but yeah, I, no. like, I like his... Uh, Location-based writing. I didn't like his more um, detached writing. So, like ones where it's like a specific room, which is something you focus on, like a, the shuttered room, for instance, or uh, the temple. Those the, that sort of thing, where it's a, a specific object that someone's observing and mm. and becoming more alarmed about, and and discovering something within it that's growing or mm-hmm. becoming becoming dangerous or whatever. That that was very good writing. I like that. I didn't like I can't think of the... Um, At the Mountains titles. of Madness. Mountains of Madness, I think.
0: Where well, the explorers go to Antarctica. Is it the Arctic? Or Antarctica. Even,
1: Who knows? Even to a point it was under, under the pyramids. Um, no, that's not that one. Um, something about the Lost City, I think. Mm. There was another one. I didn't. That one wasn't... That was a very big area. He didn't really seem yeah. to... It wasn't as interesting to me. It was more just his sort of flowery prose that was amusing.
0: I'll 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 say one thing about Lovecraft. <coughs> I I read the I read his uh, a couple of his books and that was we were talking about audiobooks before the podcast. That was the first audiobook that I listened to fully. Um was At the Mounds of Madness and the n- narrator, oh, I forget his name now. Uh Wayne June. Oh my goodness, his voice. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good for that story. Um like people that don't know Lovecraft He's, he's a great writer, but he can get a bit eccentric at times. Like, when you describe penguins as grotesque creatures, that's when you're just like, hmm. You wouldn't be too far from the truth. You need to, oh, wow. Then you shouldn't <laughs> find him funny at all. You should find him true to life, Luke. <laughs> and funny. And, yeah, and he has giant, spoilers, just giant blind <laughs> penguins, by the way, later on in the story, which are used as livestock. There you go. Andrew, welcome to the show. Have you seen any giant blind penguins in Adelaide?
2: Not that I was aware of, although there were penguins <laughs> uh-huh. uh, Not of the giant or blind variety though <laughs> No, I, no oh. sadly I cannot say that were. there were uh, How are you guys going? It's nice to be back on the podcast it's Very good to have <laughs> you,
0: Andrew here, yeah. So Lovecraft, have you read him?
2: <laughs> no, I've never read uh, Lovecraft mm-hmm. I, um, I'd have to opt out of that I know nothing about the giant blind penguins oh. or Lovecraft
0: Okay, there you go Well, give it a shot uh, Give it a shot He's actually, he's pretty good it's worth it's worth a read.
2: what is the entry Lovecraft? What is the the first well, one that you give read to? Call New of
0: Cthulhu, Cthulhu, which is his novella. Um and good luck trying to convince me to tell you how to spell Cthulhu, because I, I can't remember. Uh
1: C H T H L U was it? No, it's definitely no, not. It um
0: okay. and probably At the Mounds of Madness would be one of his best work. Both that,
2: would that be the classic, like the yes. classic Lovecraft? Yeah,
0: right, for sure. Um Call of Cthulhu is like, yeah that's that's the thing and I'd mm. say At the Mountains of Madness is a better story um, they're both told from a um, uh, in the past so it's uh, basically recollections and him reminiscing or writing about Particular things, uh, these characters rather, and um, yeah, give it a shot. I'd, I'd like to see your opinion on it. That's yeah. For sure.
2: No, I will. It's it's good to always get pointed out the book to start with when you yep. come across an author that you've never tried before, mm-hmm. but who has a huge backlist, yeah, and a big right. body of work. It can really be like I've not read Terry Pratchett before. Yeah, like the holes in my reading life is Terry Pratchett. Yeah, and I've just never really known where to start. Where does it get started. There's just yeah. so many of the books, and do I have to read them in order? Should I pick one from outside of the um, the series? Mm. Uh, yeah. It's daunting. I probably yeah. sure. wouldn't
1: start with either of those ones, to be honest, because I found them more detached and sort of more, because they were rec- recalling things in the past They were less, mm. less personal. So if you wanted to, from from my opinion, anyways, if you wanted mm-hmm. to get in, in starting to Lovecraft's, blah, Lovecraft's stories, mm-hmm. I'd probably start off with The Shuttered Room.
2: The Shuttered Room?
1: The, the shuttered, shuttered Room, room yeah. There you go. It was very, very sort of active, um... And it's very short. It was very short, yeah. Yeah, very short. You can burn through these really quick. The They're not novels at all. They're just yeah.
0: like short stories, the novellas. And is right. it a locked roomed
2: yep. mystery? Because it sounds like a locked roomed mystery.
1: Not particularly. No. no? Okay. <laughs> all right. You'll see. <laughs> it's yeah. So it's, it's very. It's, it's very quick. It's I mean, different. Yeah. And
0: and I think the reason why Lovecraft's so interesting, apart from the quirkiness, like, we we <laughs> make fun of him a lot, but he's 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 quite good, um, and he's influenced a lot of writing, um. Mm Basically, past him, people have always t- uh, touched on you know Lovecraftian horror as the the go to thing. Um, so yeah, it's it's worth checking out for sure. Mm. So Andrew, tell us what you've been up to in your week.
2: Well, you mentioned that I've been Adelaide. Yes. Uh, recently, I was over there doing a uh, a May Gibbs uh, Fellowship, mm-hmm. um, which is a really terrific thing um, that I only kind of kind of knew about in the past couple of years, where they. Uh, uh, they have a, c- a couple of studios across the country. They have one in Brisbane, one in Adelaide, and one in, Cam- in mm-hmm. Canberra. Uh, and they uh, offer these fellowships of creative writing time to uh, authors who are writing for children and young adults. Uh, mm-hmm. And those authors get um, can apply for it, basically. And if you're lucky enough to get selected, and I was selected, so I, I, I feel very lucky about that. You get mm-hmm. um, both kind of creative writing time in a studio in a uh, the city of your choice mm-hmm. Um and you're also expected to go and do some school visits as well. Um, so, my city of choice was uh, Adelaide. And um, I'm actually splitting it up, which is a little bit strange. Usually, uh, the uh, writers do it all in just one go. Mm. They do a um, their creative writing time in the May Gibbs studio. And then, they do a school visit um, at the same time. Mm-hmm. But um, just to fit in around work, I went and did the school part a couple of weeks ago. And I'll go back later in the year and uh, do the uh, the writing time in the studio in Adelaide. Mm. Um but it was great. So, I was in uh, Victor Harbour, which is just a little uh, coastal town a couple of couple of hours out of Adelaide. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they they didn't have... We started off talking about penguins. There were no giant <laughs> blind penguins, but there were like point. just a few mm-hmm. remnants of uh, fairy penguins. Oh. Just the little penguins, yeah, um, yeah. which come in at night the same way they do uh, at Phillip Island here in Victoria. Um, I didn't see them because I was, you know, I was probably writing or mm. reading in my motel room. Um <laughs> uh, but um, no, the population is, is way down. There's, the, uh, there's, um, I think they uh, have been driven away by all the human activity mm. on this little island, which is kind of just off the coast of Victor Harbor, which yeah. is where I was staying. Interesting. Interesting. Um, yeah, not many fairy penguins, but lots of um, lots of fairy children. Or should I just maybe call them children? <laughs> uh, <laughs> they're both little mm-hmm. penguins they have and wings? children. <laughs> no, and no, they didn't. No, <laughs> there you go. Um, and children like hanging out in in schools with um, with kids and talking about writing and books mm-hmm. and. Um, and reading is is just a heap of fun it's one of the um, one of the perks of writing for a younger audience as i do uh, is that you do get to go to primary schools and secondary yeah. schools as well and i was talking to the grade 4s up to the uh, the year 7s because in uh, in south australia primary school goes all the way up to year 7 mm. uh, things i learned on my trip uh, <laughs> which was which was great and those kids are always super excited to see anyone other than a teacher yeah in the classroom <laughs> with them i can imagine yeah the, in the library. Uh, so I was a I was a special guest and um, they were they were interested to talk about books and talk about their own writing as well. Like kids are inherently super creative and mm. they they love someone to kinda of come in and, and, and really encourage that creativity and, and teachers are really great at doing that and then librarians, school librarians as well. Um but to have an outside person come in with different ideas and different enthusiasm, and um, yeah, I think they they respond really well to it, and 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 I love it as well. Fantastic. Yeah. So
0: I, I suppose it would be fair to say then that the audience, um, and 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 you know, school vi- visits of these children are a lot less judgmental than other audiences uh, <laughs> as we as we get on in years. What do you think? is the most judgmental comment or the scariest comment you've gotten from that audience
2: when they're like, I think your point of view is wrong, Andrew. They don't challenge you like that. <laughs> Man. Um, they they that's kind of challenge you with their attention span. Okay. And that's okay. that's the best way to, to judge kind of how you're going in, yeah. in front of a room of 60 uh, grade fives mm-hmm. is what kind of attention are they paying you? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's really funny, actually. So, I, I uh, in the um, sessions that I was doing as part of the May Gibbs Fellowship in Adelaide recently, I did a reading from my first book, The Greatest Blogger in the World. Uh, and I did a reading from the second one, which is about a, a Grim Reaper called Sod. The book's called yeah. Son of Death. Uh, and it was... The, the kids liked The Greatest Blogger in the World reading, um, and it's funny and quirky, um, but it's a very different beast to Son of Death. Yeah. And I read a passage out of Son of Death where uh, Sod's going off and doing his mm-hmm. first Grim Reaping, uh, and the kids were super silent yeah. and kind of mouths open. Yeah, and we were into that, it. That yeah. was the one, yeah, yeah. And maybe it was just the, um, the part from the book that I'd chosen to mm-hmm. read out, but that's they 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 respond really Mm -hmm. well Um, and when i say really well i mean they're silent yeah (laughs) just like all attention on you that's the best way i would
0: love to do like a litmus text test when i go into a school let's say we'll pick this audience, andrew's audience i go in there and i start talking about point of view and we'll see how many kids nod off that would be (laughs) the best they're like joel you're not cut up for this. Finally, I the last one so. has
1: fallen asleep. You may leave yeah. now. We'll <laughs> <laughs>
2: pay you. You can go. Thank uh, you. If only, if only, I'm sure the parents and teachers of <laughs> these kids, if only they could be lulled <laughs> to sleep by simple something as simple as talking. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I don't know. You know, no, so. I think the I think their version of nodding off is talking to the kid next yes. to them, and then yep. the two of them having a chat to the other kid mm-hmm. next to them, and yeah, then okay. you, the class is out of control and yep. that's, chaos. That's a bad situation.
0: That's a, yeah, it is a bad situation. It's pretty bad. Has it happened yet? See you.
2: Uh, not no. no. Very, the, the the students, and whether I'm at a secondary school mm-hmm. or a primary school, the students are usually pretty respectful. Uh, and they're even the ones who are loud and noisy and seem like they might be troublemakers. Actually, by the time we I talk to them and we sit down and we start doing some creative writing exercises themselves, they totally get into yep. it. Uh, and if you kind of just handsome, judge yeah. them, yes, yeah, it's, the, it's the old book and cover story. If you judge them just on how they were behaving in the first mm-hmm. 10 minutes of the session, you would not get to find out the kind of the ideas that are rumbling around in their heads and, and how good mm-hmm. they actually can be at kind of expressing themselves creatively.
0: Yeah, and I, and I, and I think it also comes down to like, you know, personality and like if you have a personality that is you know good with kids and stuff like that i think that's what sells it i mean i think i think you could pull it off andrew and apparently you are but i think if i walked into a room either the kids would go screaming or that i would just get kicked out of the school so we'll we'll leave it at that i think i won't actually put this to the test um so let's let's move on to the news section oh wait luke do you have news for us I don't think so, because you told me I you some, you chickened some out general on general news. I okay, have some general news. All right, what did you pull out of your some hat at the last news that, minute?
1: That uh, we do have the Writers' mm-hmm. Festival coming up at the end of July. So we're gonna have to book a few events for that, and everybody around should be booking them as well.
0: Oh come on! <laughs> the Writers Festival is writers on. Festival. That's your news. Come on, that's news. We it's... only had
1: the Emerging Writers Festivals last news.
0: Yeah, but it's a little small. Like everyone
1: knows the Writers Festivals on. Luke, this is anyone who's listening here. You have to go to an event. The Emerging Writers, you got to go there. There you go. That's, that's right. That's good. But um, I've also been looking at the the cuts to funding that a lot of the art yeah. foundations are getting, mm-hmm. which is quite alarming there's like 65 places have had to actually yep. close because of it a
0: lot of established organizations that have been running for a good amount of years have had uh, their funding
1: so cards. we need to start petitioning to get that back i think
0: yeah it's it's a rough situation but uh you know from from the most dire of situations i always find that the writing industry in particular i think has the best form of um creativity and it can come out of it stronger so i, mm. I definitely see a, a way forward Let's hope that happens. Hmm. Um, so let's move straight on to the media section. What we've been watching, what's been on our palettes in regards to viewing. Andrew, let's throw you in on the deep end and start with you.
2: I've been watching the latest season of the Americans. Have you guys been watching The no.
0: Americans? I've heard of it though. No. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's uh it's kind of a um an American um, TV program and it's kind of at a cable level quality, uh-huh. but it, I think it airs on maybe like Fox or, oh, really? or ABC or one of the one of the um, the main commercial channels over there. But it's of an incredibly high quality for one of those um, mm. non-cable TV shows, uh, and it's in its fourth season now, I think. Uh, and it's kind of just going through that kind of dramatic kind of five act arc that mm. Breaking Bad also yeah, went yeah. through. Uh, and it's it's brilliant. It's about um it's set in the eighties, and it's about a couple of um, Russians who've been living in America for about thirty years, uh, mm. and they are married. Um, it was kind of arranged by. they're spies. They're spying for mm-hmm. for the Soviet Union in America, and they have um, a family, they have a couple of kids. Uh, the and deep
0: cover operatives, uh, yeah, yeah. Really, really
2: deep cover, yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's just, I mean, that I've already described there is kind of like the first episode of season one, mm. and uh, it kind of goes from there because... Um, I mean, we're basically travelling along the, um, the the non-fictional um, yeah. line of history that history yep. travelled along. So things that happened in then happen mm-hmm. in the show as time mm-hmm. progresses. Um, so of course the Cold War heats up before it cools down. Yeah, uh, and it's it's terrific. It's really great mm-hmm. um, and great wigs as well. <laughs> Anyone who has seen that show will know about the wigs and uh, they're pretty good. Oh yeah, yep. oh yeah. <laughs> worth it just for the weeks. Yep. All right, um, I'll give it a shot. You've sold me. And and Carrie Russell is uh is the uh the female half of the marriage. Ah, interesting. Well, she's, um, which is kind of a perfect casting because she was America's sweetheart and then to kind of see her Yeah. Um, on the TV <laughs> playing a Russian spy with an American accent is yeah. a kind of perfect uh, subversion of of who she was when she was Felicity.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Is it does it take the um dr- more um like uh low-key drama of you know, the relationships and the family. So does it go, you know, full, I don't know, Jason Bourne, where people start getting shot and, and you know, there's assassination attempts and yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff. Or does it, is that it a meld of the two? It's a,
2: it's, a, it's a meld, but there's also a real balance between mm-hmm. the family life and um, especially in the earlier seasons, their marriage, because they they, they like each other. They, they're in a, a romantic relationship yeah. now, despite being kind of just foisted on each yeah, other yeah. at the very beginning of the of the um the project mm. 30 years ago um and so we get the family drama and the the marriage drama and it's always offset and kind of echoed um, thematically by the the spy drama mm-hmm. which is always happening so they're always ducking out in the middle of the night donning wigs uh, and working people trying to get um People in who are working for the FBI to to flip for them, and mm. um, it's it, like in parts it's, it can be quite violent. Yeah, uh, there's one particular scene where um, they they, um, they just snap, um, they fit a person inside a suitcase in like a travel suitcase, mm. and they do it by snapping all their limbs. Ooh. So,
1: like there yeah, you go. They just go, intense,
2: yeah, yeah, and then like seeing the the body kind of like a as a yeah, kind yeah. Of like loose jelly type. Yep. <laughs>
1: so they convince him to join this. <laughs> I feel like that failed. Yeah. <laughs> convince them into the suitcase. Yeah. That's about it.
2: <laughs> Forceful. Um No, that's very interesting. But no, the Americans is highly recommended.
0: There you go. Anything else you've been watching or does that cover it?
2: That that pretty much covers it, yeah. I'm a I'm a one show at a time guy, usually.
0: Pretty good. Luke, how about you?
1: Uh <laughs> that, that'd be great if I had something. I'm, I, there's something that I watched that I don't, I don't mm-hmm. have on top of my head, so it wasn't obviously worth watching. Wasn't worth
0: watching. There you go. Well, I'll save you, and if you remember, then you can uh, remind, remind us. <laughs> uh, but I watched the 1997 The Man in the Iron Mask uh, the other day. Again, i uh, seen it a couple of times. There's something about that film that is entirely charming. Uh, Patrick McGowan, Richard Chamberlain... um it's just a very good film that captures what made, you know, that period and, you know, the novels written within it of Alexander Dumas, that that line really well. Which I feel like modern films that have tried to do, you know, The Three Musketeers and you know, The Man and the Iron Mask, the the one with Leonardo you know, DiCaprio, sort of failed to do. Because it's... Um, I, I love Patrick McGoon. I think he's a, a fantastic actor and he plays... A very villainous character, Fouquet, Nicholas Fouquet, in this film, and um, uh, people people were talking to me about cut back, you know, action and things like that. Where um, we we watched uh, on the Discomfort Zone uh, a couple episodes ago, uh, we um, watched Black Death, which is uh, has a lot of action sequences which are very cut down, which don't have a lot of CGI in them, they, basically nothing. It's just shot and shown and that's how it is and it's not flashy and it's not you know and here we've got the other side of the coin where it is flashy because it's that you know that swashbuckling uh the 70s when that kind of thing was in style and the the budget isn't a big it's a television movie you know this this film isn't big at all it didn't get a huge theatrical release and yet it just works very very well and i know i'm trying to sell an audience (laughs) on a film that was in the 70s but still give it a shot you won't regret it. Um, incredibly charming movie. So that is my that is my movie of the week. Have you remembered, Luke? Nope. He's shaking no, his head. There's nothing there. Yep. There we go. Um, too many books. I've been reading too uh, much. That's
1: a good thing. It is that a good is thing. A good but thing. when you can't remember what other things you've done, it gets a little bit <laughs> overwhelming. Only then. writing,
0: Luke. Writing and reading. Only things you need in life. That's right. Of course. I think. Um, <laughs> so moving on. Let's get straight into our topic, as I'm sure this will take quite a bit of time to uh, digest and cut into. And we're talking about first drafting. Now, we've talked about a lot of um, drafting discussions on the podcast this year. Last year was focused um, quite unintentionally, but we had a lot of things which involved uh, very grand scale, like talking about young adult fiction, which was with Andrew uh, last year. And um, with other authors, and then talking about genre, and Genres, talking yeah. about um, the industry, and breaking in. In this in this year, I think we're going on a more of a trend of talking about the mechanics, bits of, and pieces, yeah, yeah, the mechanics of being a writer in different fields, and like you know what goes into that. Very practical sort of information. Um, so if you've if you've done the first step, which was last year <laughs> getting in, and then you you can come with us on this journey, and we'll go into uh, the practicalities of, of being a writer and first drafting. For me, anyway, is an incredibly exciting, enjoyable experience, but man, it can get frustrating sometimes when you don't get your way, and and the spaghetti's just not lining up, and you just can't get this book to bend. But you know, sometimes it does come together, and it tastes fantastic. A lot of food analogies today, apparently. <laughs> um, so Andrew, talk to us about first drafting. What are your experiences? That's a massive question. It man. is. <laughs> like, Go for I'm it.
2: Talking about. Talking about writing in an analytical way is just a Mm. really fraught thing generally, I think. Mm. Um, I think it's Zadie Smith who says that the only book that she can really give you any tips and advice about writing is the book that she's just finished writing Mm -hmm. like she can tell you exactly how to write White Teeth or NW um, and she can tell you exactly what to do what to avoid how to make it go as fast as possible but she can't give you advice on on how to write a book that you're writing Mm -hmm. Uh, which I think kind of like sums up Mm. the the kind of fraught nature of giving any kind of uh, advice or like seeming to be wise or Mm -hmm. have wisdom or (laughs) this (laughs) is the way to do it It's just yeah. I mean, like someone's like, who who am I to say this is the way you should mm-hmm. get the best creative result out of what you're writing? Mm-hmm. But you know, we'll continue. We'll continue to indulge
1: inside baseball, <laughs> nonetheless. Just giving our ideas on how um, it's gone for us, anyways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think
0: personal experience, like you said, uh, is the most important thing. Yeah, so yeah I suppose exactly. like imparting a um, a personal opinion is often like you like you mentioned much better than giving generalized
2: advice. So exactly. For sure. um, First drafts are. I always try to think about the energy that can be captured in a first draft, uh, and there's a there's an energy, and there's usually a, like a few kind of key ideas that you first come up with when you're first writing, um, say your first two thousand, five thousand, ten thousand words of whatever you're working on that you can get down, and you can, and usually you need to get them down pretty fast, um, especially if you're interested in capturing like the energy of an idea especially (coughs) Uh, and I think about uh, Patrick Ness's uh, trilogy The Knife of Never Letting Go uh, where that first book especially has an amazing energy and it's just uh, action adventure all the way, like they're being chased by mm-hmm. unknown forces all the way up until the very end of the book. Uh, and and Patrick Ness himself has said that that book is that first book especially. That the rest of the trilogy is really good, but the first book just has an energy it's of its own. Energy, yeah. And he's managed to capture something in that first draft, or like early on in the writing process, of like that book especially. And and, and the magic has managed to like kind of stick around, kind of throughout the drafting process. Uh, and so, that's something that I'm always really mindful of. Like, if, if your idea has an energy to it, to be able to capture that somehow, which is a really airy, fairy way about of talking. And usually, um, you really just kind of, you have a few ideas and you just want to get them down. I'm a big fan of kind of getting down in your ideas uh, and it doesn't matter how awful and terrible the writing is. I like yeah. think the chances are quite high that the writing is terrible and awful. Um, but the ideas behind them are probably not. Otherwise, you wouldn't be writing about them. Yeah. Um, so, but getting it down and getting that rush of um, ideas and inspiration. Down Idea on paper, adrenaline. Yeah. Absolutely. And, um, and even if you kind of like work super hard for three days and get all that down and then you don't look at it again for a couple of weeks, um, you, at least you've got a starting point. And yeah. When I'm talking with um with with adults who are writers mm. and adults who are um, thinking about writing and even when I'm at out at primary schools talking to kids, the hardest thing is is that thing that um you do to get started. Mm. Um, wh- where do your ideas come from? Should I think of an idea before I start writing? Should I write before an idea comes to me? Um, it it can be a really hard perplexing thing, mm. uh, and. And usually, I, I have, usually have a couple of writing exercises up my sleeve, uh, especially when I'm talking with the younger the younger humans about writing and here's a way to into writing and let's take something from your life and write about that or make it fictional. Um, you never know all the uh, you you have no, no idea how matter uh, all the um there are so many fantastical magical stories out there which are mm. so removed from. Human experience on this Earth in this universe that we know of that are have been based on a, a real human experience, and yeah. every author writes from a very real experience. From uh, I'm sure, I'm sure um, Lovecraft did, and um, Ursula Le Guin does, mm-hmm. and. Uh, jk rowling does as well yeah Um, and those stories are fantastical and magical and crazy and um, you read them and you think how on earth did they ever come up with this stuff Mm. Um, but it's all based in in really real stuff so that's that's something that i say to to kids who are enthusiastic and keen to to work out exactly where (coughs) where they should start when they're writing a creative piece Mm -hmm. is to Mm -hmm. don't don't think about the most fantastical things start off with your life and then let's start twisting things um, and, oh, you like you like football. Well, it's not going to be super interesting to write a story about playing football. But what if we take those skills that you know about from playing football, like getting grass all over you and running and sweating a whole lot. Uh, and suddenly you're being chased by a monster and you're t- disguising yourself um, from the monster mm. by rolling grass on your body. And, and you're running along at a super speed and getting super sweaty and... Yeah. just like you do on the football. There are ways that you can yeah. kind of extrapolate experiences yeah, the experiences things, that yeah. you've had uh, and apply them into a fictional. And th- and then you've got a character and a story that hopefully feels more real than just, a, oh, and then there was a monster and then it chased me. <laughs> uh, yeah. Hopefully yeah. hopefully your character and your story are a little more three-dimensional mm-hmm. than they would have otherwise have been to start with.
1: More energy, yeah. more detail, yeah. Louvre used the uh, rusty tap technique. The what rusty tap? One? Yeah, we you turn on the water flow. And it's rusty water for like you know five minutes or or something, and then you get good water coming through. And oh, talking yeah. about so when you you're, writing, you're writing. writing. It's, you're You're going to get a bunch of junk at the start. Yeah. Depen- well, it d- depends on how often you write, of course. Mm. But if if you're just coming back into writing after a long time, it, you'll, it'll be rusty for a while. And, and, then, you get and then you'll get some good stuff. Mm-hmm. And then and that's the stuff that you'll maybe you'll still use bits of the rusty water, but of course, but but um
2: and writers often say that they will c- not even write the beginning of this, the idea that they have at the beginning that they'll start in the middle somewhere <laughs> and they <laughs> won't they, they won't write yeah. the uh, very beginning until they have figured out mm. um if not written the whole rest of the the book or the draft that they're working mm. on uh, just because the beginning of the story is so important
0: yeah getting that and also, understanding what your story is before you start it is, 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 a, is a helpful thing, because that's mm. why people start in the middle. Luke, your experience is... Was, was curious, yeah, because I actually
1: thing. started at the beginning of my story, because especially since it was published online, mm. uh, that made it a bit more rigid in that manner. I had to start at where I was. It was episodic, yeah. It was episodic. So, I couldn't really just post something from the middle of the story, and then go back. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I definitely have had different experiences to those people who talk about starting in the middle or writing in the middle. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, it can be so hard to know where I've to even start yeah. in the beginning yeah, as definitely.
1: Well. Oh, it is definitely. I mean, w- with my other writing, other than this episodic thing, I have, of course, uh, started with an idea and thought, well, this will be where I start. And then it isn't where I start because it becomes the middle. Instead of me yeah. writing the middle, yep. it becomes the middle. I'm like, oh... Something happened before this, didn't it? Yeah, <laughs> and then you go back, and then, then you go then back to it, and yeah. So that, that's um, yeah, the Batman origins idea, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> when, um, I,
2: when I'm at schools, I I often teach the idea of uh, the inciting incident and yep. work mm. to as a guide to where the story really needs to start. Yeah. And I, I always use the example, which is a little bit confusing. It's first of Jurassic Park because <laughs> it's a well-known text that pretty much everyone yep. in the Western world knows. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the kids are always a little bit... What, what do you think the kids say is the uh, is the inciting incident of Jurassic Park? Mm, when they get to the park. When they get to the park? Mm. I'm going to say in my best teacher voice, no, <laughs> not quite. What do you <laughs> think, Luke?
1: <laughs> oh, what do you think the kid would say? I think it comes before the start of the story. Yeah. It's back when Hammond has decided to do to build this thing.
2: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because that the the story of Jurassic Park is a, the story of dinosaurs now exist and mm-hmm. coexist with humans. Yeah. So the inciting incident is when you go from a world where there are no dinosaurs to a world where there are dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. Uh and then the rest of the uh, kind of like story cues you know, or like structurally in Jurassic Park are pretty obvious. What, yep. it, what does everyone want? They want to remain alive. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> how do they do it? Yeah. That's the character yep. motivation. That's <laughs> um, yeah. That's it. But the beginning is interesting and yeah. a, a good yeah a good tool and example I often use when I'm talking about how to start and yeah hmm. working out what your inciting yeah. incident is is important.
0: Yeah, definitely is. Um, how do ideas change? Do you think when you think of an idea? You put it down, and you're like, I've got a perfect idea for a story. This is, this is how it's going to go. I know it. We're going to have this character. He's going to go to, I don't know, let's say, the Wonderland. And within that, he's going to meet the fairy puff monster. But when you actually start writing, you're like, man, the fairy puff monster is just not good. It's just not good at all. So how do I then – well, how, do then, how does it work? Do you think you get that when you have an idea and it just – it changes when the story changes from what you intended to something completely else.
2: Yes, and mm. it's it's often really hard to know whether the Fairy Puff Monster mm. is the best part or the worst part yeah. of your manuscript <laughs> as well. Definitely the best. Come on, Andrew. <laughs>
1: well, it's not working with the Fairy Puff Monster, but that's because the Fairy Puff Monster's fine. Oh Yeah, <laughs>
2: he's actually a good guy.
1: <laughs> How many words was that so far? Yeah, I that's when you look at your work and you start <laughs> deleting, yeah. <laughs>
2: I um, I always think that it's really good um as I was saying mm. a couple of minutes ago to, to really like get a whole lot of words out of the very beginning when you have your initial ideas. Yeah. Um because then you can then you can go back once you've got say like ten thousand words down, you can take some time, go back and have a proper read and work out whether the Fairy Puff Monster is good or bad. And yeah. um and it's like it's, it's such a cliche when people talk about writing process to say that um you should always um put your manuscript in a drawer and come back to it three months later and you'll read it with fresh eyes yeah. um, but it's a cliche for a reason and, and yeah. that, that reason when people say fresh eyes I think what they're getting at is that you'll um, you'll kind of forget the little arguments that you have for each yeah. re- each like decision that you've made in that manuscript yeah. you've got a reason for it at the time and you've got arguments and if someone challenged if I wrote something and Luke said why have you done that with a very puff, puff monster, monster. Yeah. That that's a terrible he would never wear that color yeah dress and I I would say well, what you don't understand about the fairy puff monster and I haven't got to it yet but is that he is going to come back and then the dress is going to be important because the colour is his family emblem
0: yeah Um, and you've got all this in your head right and you forget it completely so you forget the argument so
2: when I come back to it Luke doesn't even have to be in the room I come back to the manuscript three months later and I read it and I say well I can't even really. I can't remember the arguments that I used to make all I I know is that that, yeah 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 exactly (laughs) how did I get to this point that the fairy puff monster is wearing this dress and and that is this inexplicably um, purple colour Yeah. why is that like it might have something to do with the story later on but if I haven't explained it well enough in this part Uh of the story then it's obviously not working Hard other people yeah.
0: Yeah. all right so continuing with this analogy that will inevitably continue <laughs> to the end of the podcast because this is gonna happen guys um is that is when do you night. decide it's time for the fairy puff monster to die it's time to put this manuscript to bed and not touch it again and writers do it writers abandon manuscripts all the time where they decide well it's not working it's time to try something else is that Is that a hard thing to do? And do you realize, like, man, did I make a did I make a mistake? You know, did I just not get it at the time? Do I need to come back to it again?
1: You know, I guess the overarching question is: Has that ever happened to you? And and that, yeah, (laughs) yeah, it has
2: happened to me. I um before I in between the greatest blogger in the world and Mm -hmm. son of death, I was writing what I thought was going to be my second book, which was a um. and then the idea was to have an alien traveling around the story of treasure Island, Mm -hmm. um, Robert Louis Stevenson's Mm -hmm. classic story and to have an alien kind of touring us through different parts of that story. And, um, and that we would meet the author, that the author, Robert Louis Stevenson himself, would also be there, part of the story, and mm-hmm. that this alien character would kind of move from from one story to the next, That like mm-hmm. the next book might be um, uh, 100,000 Leagues under yeah, the yeah, Sea, yeah, yeah. Um, and that the alien would be our kind of guide. Yeah. Uh, and it was kind of funny and kind of really irravel- uh, irrelevant, and it just didn't work, and I, I had a contract for it and everything, and in the end, I just had to say to my publisher, look, I... I think that your idea about what the book could be is different to m- what my idea about the book could be. It's not a, it's not a terrible idea, uh, and it could, it could work. But I don't think that it's working at the moment, and I don't think that this is the right project for either of us to, mm. to work on. And eventually we ditched it, and I. Um, I had the idea for *Son of Death*, which ended up being the second book, which was a much better decision than yeah. going with this, with this kind of like genre classic literature mm. for kids with an alien idea, which was, um, which I, I like. It sounds a bit airy fairy when I'm describing it now. It's been a while since I mm. looked at this manuscript at all, um, but it just wasn't working on the page. Yeah. You, yeah. Can, you can have an idea that it describes in an airy fairy way, but if it doesn't work on the page. Uh, and it just wasn't working on the page and the publisher I thought I think wanted to go in one direction with it and I had a very different idea about it and it wasn't even that there was conflict there mm. or that we d- were disagreeing about the project. I just didn't think that what, what we what we had already, yeah. those like those first ten thousand words if you like, were were good enough to to build the rest of the project on top mm. of. So we cancelled it. We we binned it and mm-hmm. um that, that contract um eventually got like transferred to be the Son of Death contract and um thank God really. Yeah. yeah. Mm.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> Abandonment Luke Abandonment What about you I can't really speak Of abandonment yet Because I don't think I've truly abandoned Any of my stories They're there They're <laughs> sitting there and thinking Are you going to come back And yeah. I'm thinking I want to One mm. day Um I suppose there's one that I actually published that I've abandoned. <laughs> that doesn't make a lot of sense, Luke. No, it does. Disowned? Well, disowned, self-published yes. that I've abandoned and disowned and taken off I the see. market. Why? Why is that? Do you want to talk about it? Or is uh, that... Like... I suppose a little bit, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of exactly how. It, it was, was a, actually written by it 2000, me. No, 2011, me. I think, I wrote it. And I put it together mm-hmm. as part of... So some, early stages of was, your writing. It was early it. Stages, stages of my writing, yeah. And... I just slammed together a little novella. I was like, I'm going to write the 50,000 words in November. It turned out to be about 23,000 words. Mm-hmm. But I also couldn't go on because I thought, it's finished. Yeah. What am I supposed to do with it? But first of all, it was the start of my writing. Yeah, which is Second, often not well,
0: reflective at all of where you go. Well, it go wasn't
1: the really the start of my writing. i would written other stuff ages ago. Yeah, and yeah. I, I was still, I'm still writing, but serious in that sort writing, of, like career writing, I suppose. I still think that some of the stories I started way back then are yeah. still influencing. Like they were, they were definitely influencing mm-hmm. the one that I did release. But this one, it kind of it. I got to the end. I thought, well. it doesn't go anywhere. Mm. It doesn't like, it doesn't go anywhere. Interesting. Yeah. It delves into places where everybody's already been before. Mm. It doesn't really go. It's written. I feel, well, I felt like it was written well, Mm -hmm. but it, it wrapped itself around an ending that didn't satisfy me even. Mm. So I thought, well, there's no, I, I don't have a way to resolve it because it doesn't, Really earn itself a better ending, mm. but at the same time, I don't really feel like revisiting the thing either. Yeah. So I've definitely thrown away one one story. All the others that I've, you could sort of say, put to side, put to the side, um, may have you come back to them. Yeah. I still think I would go back to them. Yeah. And was this
2: story on sale, and you like, and it was available yes, to the public for Kindle. a time, yeah. and then you've thought about it. For how long before you ch- decided to take it off sale? It
1: was four years, five years. Okay. Wow. yeah. So it was actually up there. Mm. I don't think I got any sales from it. which is <laughs> fine. But, <laughs> but it was still something just to, to give an idea into my writing mm. style, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. But it was also just a different project to my normal. Because uh, normally I write fantasy. Mm. And um, that was a very sort of... It was in this world, for all, first of all. Yeah. It was in... Um, um, military fiction right? military fiction yeah yeah, and I don't know I felt like I did it okay but it just didn't go anywhere yeah. it just didn't go anywhere interesting see it's it's. I think it's interesting that,
0: that phenomenon which I think it will become a lot more popular because self-publishing is becoming a lot more popular and I feel it's that it's dangerous it, yeah it, it really is, dangerous is dangerous to a certain extent because writers have an impulse to put something out that maybe isn't the best yet and it could be or maybe it, it shouldn't exist at all and then we release it, and then we have the the regret. We have the the relationship regret. And we're like, man, I don't think that was a wise decision at all, um, putting that out there. And and yeah, I I think this is going to be something. I, you've you've touched on a big point. I think it's going to be a big deal. I think we're going to hear a lot of writers. You know, give it a couple yeah. years, coming out and saying, man, I, I wish I didn't publish that first you know self-published book because yeah. it ruined my confidence. For, doing something else or you know all those bad reviews really hurt hurt me and and i and i couldn't move past them in some ways couldn't couldn't get that skin that i needed to
2: it can be hard to know exactly why as well because it can i mean you say that you just don't like it now Mm. the story that you you, that you took down a little while ago um and I, i just wonder how much it has to do and i'm not specifically your example but in general like how much it has to do with just like embarrassment of 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 what you were like five years ago as oh, well, yeah. um, not 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 I so, not so much like. just like an objective like oh no this this creative piece is not worthy of mm. any publication yeah. even self publication I'm going to take it off and mm-hmm. how much it is just like you know when you see a photograph oh, wow, of yourself really five me? years ago yeah so, yeah <laughs> what was I wearing what was I thinking at yeah. the time mm. and then I'm sure that there's like a I'm sure that it's a bit of both probably yeah I yeah. think so.
1: I- don't know. I think I felt like I was still okay as a writer. I just yeah. feel like the story didn't go anywhere for that one. Yeah. For that that one, anyways. I've, I've had mm. other regrets, but not quite on the. I'm going to remove it from all. <laughs> yes. Yeah. from and all thought. of civilization. <laughs> yeah. I um, know that
2: the um the first thing that I ever got published in Voice Works magazine is was printed. So like therefore can never can be never be erased from. Well, I mean, the if the records. editor thought
0: it was worthy, I guess it's just that self-deprecating. You know, looking back at the past and being like, man, I don't think that was good.
2: Yeah, I'm glad somebody (laughs) liked it. Yeah, (laughs) It'd definitely be um, column A and column B for me. I'd be embarrassed about myself back then. I'd be embarrassed about the writing.
0: All right. So this is, ladies and gentlemen, don't go look up this (laughs) because I might. (laughs) And tweet Andrew
2: about it. No, it was terrible. (laughs) It was about a boy who had never been, who had never had his umbilical cord removed from his mother. So for his entire life. uh, Yeah. So... Chinese it's about emperor, as good as it sounds. <laughs> <laughs>
0: wow, interesting! All right, there you go. Chinese yeah. emperor story.
2: Yeah, yeah. I don't in know the lost this, city. The lost. <laughs> what what happens in that story?
1: Give us give us the rundown. It's not a fiction. It's it, well, it wasn't umbilical cord, but um, pretty sure he was. If I remember correctly, mm-hmm. this was like the emperor, like the last emperor, yeah. and it was in the city of. Don't remember the city's name. I just remember watching the film of this Empress so many years ago. Mm. I think he was breastfed until he was like fifteen, sixteen. Whoa, whoa, so yeah, it was. It it's was a couple of years too late. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. maybe. Yeah. Leaving <laughs> it a bit late there. But yeah, there it, was, it was quite quite an unusual situation, anyways. See, yeah. Andrew,
0: you cut it on that story. <laughs> ah, well, I, I took it one that step further. He's doing the umbilical cord. That was, yeah. that's much
1: yeah. more interesting. Isn't
0: there it? you go. <laughs> um, interesting. That's what I look up. Uh yeah, or, not. or not. Um <laughs> so yeah, no, fascinating I, story there. I yeah, I think it's interesting that you're right, I think, to 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 a great extent that I think it has a lot to do with um yeah, that embarrassment of, of yeah, maybe maybe people will see me in a different right because of X that I put out, you know, a long time ago. I think it'll always exist. Uh but I also I'm also grateful that Kindle has that option, <laughs> <laughs> that self-publishing has that option to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Not so much with print, but um, it
1: is nice to have easy access to publishing.
0: But at the same time, that ease of access—it's a mixed blessing. Is yeah. it, it is a
1: very mixed blessing. So, all right. So first drafts can end up on Amazon. Yeah. So <laughs> this is a this is a yeah. Th-
0: no, that that's a really it good point. A, yeah. it, it like first drafts should never see the light of day. It should never go out to the public and it's something that i encourage all writers to do show it to people that you know and that you trust can can look at it and give you an honest opinion give it to an editor just don't release it just don't go put it out there people
2: people are always surprised that writers even do drafts that there yeah, might be more than one yeah and it's completely understandable in many yep. cases because when you read a when you read like a really good book where the author is just really confident about what they're writing it reads like you can't really imagine it in any other form. Yep. It just seems perfect that as if they wrote it down on the page that way. I always feel like that when mm-hmm. I um, read a book that is just a really self-assured piece of writing. Yep. And you read and go, well, I can't... Surely that was the first draft. Surely there was no work and process behind it. There was no years and years Douglas of redrafting Adams, and Douglas redrafting. Adams. There's no way he wrote more than one draft. <laughs> um,
0: with with redrafting comes issues as well. Uh, and... and um, uh, the Fairy puff monster, because um, we're not letting this die. Our old friend. Uh, is, is dark fantasy? All right? <laughs> this is grim, dark fantasy at its highest, like lost the dress, got a great sword, things are going down, basically. And then you realize, man, we didn't start here. We started with fairy tale. We yeah. started with a different story, and I have redrafted it to the point where I can't recognize my story, yeah. and the idea is dead. And I have had experience with this. I've, I've had it happen where you can draft and draft and draft and change your story so much in the end where you don't even recognize it, where you don't know what you were trying to achieve to begin with. Um, hmm. And and I and that was my example of abandonment. I, I let it go um, because I just thought, well, in the end, it just ended up generic fantasy, which is not what I wanted to do to begin with. And it was a shame. And... And it lost the energy of the book you were talking about. Energy earlier, the energy was zapped out of it. It felt like a, it felt like an Excel spreadsheet of just ticking the boxes of what mm. scene comes next. So you are overdrafting. And it was overdrafting. And I and I think that especially in beginning writers, you will have this because you'll either have the the confidence to release your first draft, don't do it, <laughs> and you will have Aww. the fear and the insecurity of drafting and drafting and drafting and never letting it, never letting it leave your desk, basically. And that's also a problem. And it's so difficult to find the middle ground and being like, well, all right, this is where it's at. This is as good as the story is going to get. Time to give it to some people and, and, and see what um, mm-hmm. they think. Overdrafting, mm-hmm. is it d- a concern for you?
2: I think that there's a um, there's like a happy medium in there where you can say that I've improved this draft as well as I can improve it on my own. Mm-hmm. As opposed to saying this, this is as good as it's going to get for yeah. a stop or... I, oh, I'm just going to work on it until I can be as possibly good as it. In which case, it might never come to anything. Mm. Um, but if if you're thinking about things in stages, and you're thinking about um, sharing your work and um, it, finding people that are good readers who who you do trust, who will give you good yeah. honest feedback, is a is a struggle, but a really good thing to to have up your sleeve when you're writing. Um, so if you can, uh, I always do this anyway. Um, write up until a point where you think, okay, I, I just don't think there's any more that I can do to this draft in this particular angle that I've tried to write it. I've tried mm-hmm. tried to write it in a particular direction. So the fairy puff monster, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, the, what was it? The fairy puff? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, fairy fairy p- yeah. yeah you got that's it. it. The fairy puff monster. Yeah. The fairy puff monster is um, actually a secret spy and that, that's the yeah. angle that I'm going with in this draft. I'm not sure if the spy thing is actually going to work, mm-hmm. but I'm going to make that spy angle work as hard and strong as I possibly can in this iteration of the draft and then I'm going to let go of it and I'm going to give it to someone and I'm going to put it away for a couple of weeks and I'll come back to it and I'll take some advice or you know maybe just hear the words and decide not to take the advice but I'll Mm -hmm. get feedback Yeah. uh and then I'll make a like a proper kind of inf- like very, it's a very serious, very methodical way mm. of approaching this part of the creative creative process. Mm. I'll make a decision yeah. and I'll say, actually, the spy angle is working really well. Mm-hmm. I've obviously got, obviously got the Americans on my uh, on my mind. <laughs> yeah, scale. that's Turning right. Very buff monster into a uh, is Russian a Soviet spy. spy. Yeah, <laughs> I was trying there to go. figure
1: out how the dark fantasy element fit in with the spy, but yeah, he's okay. a Soviet <laughs>
0: Russian dark fantasy very puff monster. <laughs> Deal with it, Luke. Come on. All right, Luke. Your examples of overdrive. I
1: don't have a good example of overdrafting unfortunately because it hasn't happened to me mm-hmm. but um, have you had an idea I've that had loses an issue its focus. with not overdrafting? Okay, only recently, I went back over one of my Kindle publishings and I thought, oh, that's a very curious detail that really adds a whole new race to my book yeah, <laughs> my oh accident. <laughs> Ooh, whole new race of people. No, oh. no, no, not people, but
0: race, anyways. Um, a monster kind, maybe. Not a monster kind, either. All right, you're confusing us.
1: Just give us, give us the truth. Oh, oh, I, don't I don't know if I want to put this the Okay, oh, actually, yeah, no, no. But Keep yeah, it quiet. I've, I've already gone it. through all my edits before, and I mm. thought I'd gotten rid of everything, but you know when you, you, you search and replace something, <laughs> you don't go through all the genders? Oh. And then you realize there's actually... Oh. Yes. So half the book still has this. <laughs> yup. <laughs> You know,
0: when we were working on Legends of Eisenwald, uh, <laughs> which is a, which is a video game, um, oh, this draft we, was we crazy. had we'd been okay. called in as editors to look over it, and it we the character you could pick as a male or female character. So basically, in code, you had to have a little bracket around every time it said "dear sir," "dear lady." You'd have a little bracket it was like "sir slash madam," and then they would understand what gender the, the player picked. But that comes down to editing, and sometimes we just missed it. Sometimes we just put. Uh, Madame, there'd just be no male option or no female option. And the pronoun <laughs> uses of he and she were just like, oh, it's so difficult.
1: Through the roof. That it was it was
0: very difficult. So that that's that's where you learn your lesson, I think, yeah. you, when you have to work on a video game like that. Anyway, we are getting towards the end of the show. Uh, Andrew, thank you very much for joining us. Any closing comments on first drafting and how you're never going to do it again? <laughs>
2: Right, it's like first drafting is really fun yes it, it is it's more fun to write a first draft than a second or a third or a yep. fourth etc cetera, etc cetera. Sure. i definitely think that that's true mm-hmm. uh it's it's the it's the part where you're kind of like taking the great ideas that you've had and putting them down on page for the very first time and working out and i like we can definitely overanalyze writing and i think that being analytical about writing sometimes can be useful if something's not working, or you th- yep. you get the feeling that something's not working. And then it's useful to like kind of like think about writing from mm-hmm. a really analytical point of view. And um, but that first draft, th- there's just something magical, magical about yeah. it when it's when something's when something's working right in the story and, mm-hmm. and it's coming down in the right form. It's a, there's no there's no better place to be.
1: Yeah. Are you a particular planner when it comes to first drafting, or are you one that flies by the seat of the pants?
2: Ah, uh, I do a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I'm working on a, a an, another middle grade novel at the moment and I've just written 10,000 words uh, a little while ago, ag- ago actually, um, I, I finished 10,000 words and I had planned out what was going to happen in those 10,000 words but the rest of the story was pretty pretty up in the air and could, yeah. could go either way and, and still can go any way at all but I, I wanted to do the 10,000 words and then like do as I've kind of preached which is nice that I can say that I've, I've done what I preached mm. tonight um, which was <laughs> to take a seat back and to give it some a couple of months and then go back and make some really give objective back, yeah. decisions about things uh, and um, yeah I did it then
1: there you go Yeah, actually that's something I'm doing at the moment now too so I wrote a collection of short stories a little while back I've only sort of some sort of semi-released one or two of them to the public at the moment, but in the process of um, going back over those, over those as well. So,
2: mm-hmm. do you find it a pleasurable process going back over?
1: Sort of. I think it's a mixture. I think in some places you think, oh, why didn't I think of that before?" And why is it? Why didn't I realise that that wasn't logical or that didn't fit very well before? And so you sort of curse yourself a bit. Mm. But, in other situations you think that's I can make it a lot better now It's actually very nice, and I can fit it into future stories better as well, especially when you're a short story collection that you know you build up your fantasy world and you you can flesh it out better with using that so it's yeah it is a mixture for me
2: it's It's interesting to think about this process in terms of writing fantasy as well and and mm. writing about a world that is not like our own mm. um because I do wonder if you need to draft differently if you're creating a whole different world other than just a story that the reader is unfamiliar with mm. like the, how, how many drafts does the world building take and should it or how much of it needs to be down in that first draft
1: uh, I would say that it's not that much different mm. to be honest because the the worlds are in our heads for fantasy writers <laughs> so it's it's sitting there and you when you're writing it you either you have the details down already you've written them as ideas elsewhere or you're coming up with them and then you write them elsewhere as well. So you've got record of them. It's a little bit more... I would say maybe there's a little bit of difference in the fact that you've got to um, make sure you're keeping things logical instead of like, oh, yeah, 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 I wrote that piece. And it, no, no, it didn't quite line up with the information that you've had before. So that in, in in those terms, it's not like... For instance, if you've got a city with a different name or something, and... And then you refer to a completely different city by accident, stuff like that. I mean that's that's basic stuff really. It's mm. not it's not quite as it's not huge, but that kind of thing where you've got uh I'm trying to think of a very good example, but I'm not finding a very good example.
2: Does the world building evolve over the world different building, drafts? yeah,
1: definitely. Um I would say personally, I I started building the world that I wrote my story for. I wrote the story in 2011, I think. It was 11, 12, and 13 over that t- period of time, but the world for that started back in 2006, I think. Mm. So mm. that had started developing way back then, and and to a point that I used tons and tons of elements from that. Mm. And most of it I remembered. Some of it's all documented in like these timelines and um, notes and stuff. But but um, I. I f- I feel like the drafting process isn't much different. It's yeah. still just a matter of making sure you've got the logical details, which you can Google city names for real-world places or you can <laughs> look through your notes for your your own world places. Yeah, so. I, th-
0: I think with fantasy especially, it's like um, world-building is incredibly important and getting telling details as people describe it, is that's the, the challenge—is the challenge of like making that world seem logical yeah. and real. Because
1: in your head it makes sense. Yeah. And and the way you express to it else.
0: to a character, <laughs> to to a person, rather, I, I just speak in literary terms, not that's bad. Um, to, to another person is very different. I, I had a fantasy world that I had written um, several drafts of, you know, different novels, and then put together a novella, um, which I released. And the novella is, you know, of a completely different storyline, just a short, self contained story. But it was set in that world. And the problems that arose from that were huge. Because I had all these things that I needed to put into the book and be like, oh, but this is so <laughs> cool because, like, you know, this is tied to, you know, yeah, well, this is you know great. the fairy yeah, puff monster yeah. is tied to, you know, the Grim Reaper over there. And, you know, this, this is how the two political alliances work. And it just didn't work. And, and in the end.
1: It's not a story about the fairy puff monster it's it's sitting in the corner. Yeah, yeah.
0: He's not part of this story. The story is something else. And it should be that something else. I think fantasy writers in particular, and science fiction as well, get the sense that they put too much in. They put a little bit too much in because they're in love with it a lot, you know, and that's where the editing process comes in on the on the second draft. But closing comments, Luke, where do you think the first draft sits for you and uh, how's that changed, do you think? I years? still
1: feel like the first draft is dangerous for me because I, I have that access to self-publishing and I haven't had a publisher mm. ever, so... Yeah. Um, it still sits with me. That because I, mm-hmm. For some reason, I have a pride in my writing. I shouldn't really have it. Mm-hmm. but I feel like it's good until I realize and then go back over and like, ah. Oh. Yeah. So I'm not one of those people who's originally or at, at first not confident about their writing. I'm really confident about my writing and then I look at it and I think, ah. Oh. <laughs> it's, so the, it's the regret that's afterwards. The dangerous, the, sorry, that's the danger for yeah. me is the self-publishing on the first draft.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think all writers need like... An, a certain amount of pride or ego mm. or self confidence or something <laughs> to get to but the end of have a draft. self publishing option. Yeah, <laughs> <when laughs> they have that. So. <laughs> I, think,
0: I think you're right. I think there's definitely that sense where, you, in the end, you just gotta just trust that your words stand up for themselves and, and, and put them out there if, if you have that option. But, but um, Certainly, yeah. Certainly, th-
1: I've grown slower with first drafts.
0: Yeah, I, I think uh, for myself in first drafting, I think it is, like Andrew, I think it's the most exciting. Um, part of the writing process because it's the it's an explosion of ideas that you have in your head and you're seeing it and that's exciting and when you finish your first draft it's a great feeling um the the drafting and such that comes after it and and looking at it critically i think is incredibly important getting feedback is so important and i kind of stress that enough uh that living in a tunnel is all right but you you really need that outside opinion you need to leave that cave get some sunlight and you need to show your work to the, to, to people you trust and people that can give you good opinions. Um, and I, and I think that, uh, like you said, it's good for a writer to have some pride to, to stick up for his writing. Um, I'll get there one day. I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think we all will. Um, Thank you very much for listening, ladies and gentlemen. That wraps up our podcast for today. Thank you, Andrew. It's uh, lovely to have you.
2: Luke, Joel, it's been a pleasure as always. Fantastic.
0: Yeah, where, where can people find you on the social medias? Uh, give us the the dates on what you've got coming
2: up. Uh, what have I got coming up I'm doing a little school session at the Melbourne Writers Festival and Great. look really if you just google Andrew McDonald and click on the one that's not the shoemaker that's mm-hmm. me yeah <laughs> there you go I saw that yes I yeah. I,
0: go- yeah, I think your website was down for for a brief period and I was googling you and I was like he makes shoes too Oh, there you go. Man of many talents. Yeah, well, you've got to yeah. do something to supplement your right. writing right. earnings. That's <laughs> right. That's very true. Who knows? I might crash a crash to the school party at the Writers' Festival, love as is Luke and I uh, <laughs> want to do. Um, Luke, what have you got coming up?
1: Your social media I'd love links. to give dates for when it'll be released, but I'm still working on things. So, mm-hmm. um, Still got that short story, the, the sci-fi one that I'm working on, and the... Did I mention what genre it was last time? Realist fiction. Wow, or well, magic realism—you could sort of call it. Interesting. Um, uh, so those two I'm working on at the moment, as well as the short story collection that I mentioned, mm-hmm. which um, yeah, I'm developing a lot more in my head. Anyways, so, uh, <laughs> you can find updates on that when they come, when the updates come through, uh, at thesoulshard.com dot com or at thesoulshard on Twitter.
0: And Andrew, your social media links.
2: Uh, I'm just Andrew McDonald on, uh, on the Twitter mm-hmm. and um, MrAndrewMcDonald.com on the URL internet place. Very fancy. <laughs> there you go. <laughs>
0: well, you can find The Morning Bell a u. themorningbell.com.au. Um, the Morning Bell is accepting your submissions. Give us your pros. Uh, I'm sure they would love to see it. And your poetry as well. Um, heavy editing on the side of the magazine for this uh, year's anthology. So if you like constructive criticism and you want to work with them, then that is a fantastic yeah, place. Yeah, you want a publishing opportunity. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Like the Morning Bell is one of the few places that is willing to give your work um, a shot straight up. You submit, you have a key to publishing, as long as you work with us on that on that constructive feedback. And um, I think it's a great opportunity for writers. Um, to find those those avenues because getting ed- editing is isn't isn't uh, an easy is an option these days. So give it a shot. Uh, you can find myself at thepenofjoel.com where I write some strange weird blog posts about <laughs> things about being a writer, I guess. Um, and also thepenofjoel on Twitter. Um, I will be at Continuum. Uh, this year, um, doing a panel and attending. I hope you do as well. Though this will probably come out after it's already passed. So, well, I hope you were there and I hope I said hi. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening, ladies and gentlemen, and we'll see you on the next podcast.